Amen. Good morning, everyone. How many of you are a little nervous about Ben's request? Like, what is Will going to ask us to do? But the interesting thing about his request, and we did not plan this at all. Actually, we didn't realize that this happened until Friday, is that in the story that we will look at today, we find a similar request being made. We find a similar request being made. And so I believe that this type of open-ended request is not only one that our pastor is asking us to lean into and to respond to, but I believe it's a request that we see in the scriptures and the word of God, and, we, and God is asking us to also respond to that open-ended request. But up front, up front, I want you to know that the request is not simply about us wanting something from you, Okay. It's not us simply wanting something from you, but it's more about wanting something for you. If you haven't been here the past couple of weeks throughout this known series, that's what we have been emphasizing. We have been saying, this is what we want most for you, for each and every single one of you. In week one, if you remember, Ben said, we really want you to be known in community. We want you to be known in community. And then in week two, I shared how it is important to realize that we are known by God, that the one who knows us the best is the one who loves us the most. And then last week and this week, this is what we have been wanting to emphasize. What we want most for you is to make a difference. What we want most for you is to make a difference. And here's how we make a difference, by helping others know God and to be known in community. By helping others know God and to be known in community. By giving others the opportunity to be transformed by life-giving relationships with God and a faith community. And that's why Ben last week challenged and invited us to share our faith story with others. Because our profound moments can open the door for others to have a profound moment with God. So today... I want to continue with the theme of making a difference. Not only can we make a difference by using our words and inviting others to experience what we have experienced, but we can make a difference in the lives of others by serving them, by serving them, by creating environments which will allow others to know God and be known. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do towards the end of our teaching time. Okay, I'm going to give it to you up front, and if you're ready to say yes now, you can do so now. But I'm going to ask you to join a serving team right here at Epic. If you are not currently serving, I am going to ask you to play a part in what God is doing in and through this community. If you have taken an extended break from serving, I'm going to ask you to jump back in. Because we believe that we are in a season in which God wants to do something great, something awesome, something amazing in and through our community. That God wants to use this faith community to make a difference in the lives of others. But we know that in order for that to happen, we have to be well positioned. And in order for us to be well positioned, we all have to play our part. We all have to play our part. A few weeks ago, Ben shared this quote by Trisha Neal from her book, Vision to Action. And this quote has just stayed with me. She writes in her book, with the participation of the whole congregation, a church can afford a big vision. With the participation of the whole congregation, a church can afford a big vision. And as many of you know, our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orienting their entire lives around Jesus. The reality is is that vision can't be maximized unless everyone is playing their part. 
That our potential for growth and impact is either limited or accelerated based on whether or not you participate. And this is what we see throughout the scriptures. This is what we see in the book of Acts in chapter 6. An issue in, in, in the book of Acts in chapter 6, an issue arose within the church. And the problem was is that the Greek-speaking uh, Jew, Jewish widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food by the Hebrew-speaking Jews. But the apostles determined not to get involved. They said, we're, we're not going to also distribute the food. Because we're going to focus on prayer and we're going to focus on teaching the word of God. So they decided that they were going to ask others in the community to play their part. So they told the church, hey, find seven men that were well qualified and capable to serve the food and take care of everyone equally. And I want you to look at what happened when others began to serve. And it wasn't ju- when, when it wasn't just a few people doing the work. Check out what happened in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. It says that as a result of more people playing the part, their part, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As the people served... It says that the number of people that were turning to Jesus increased rapidly. Increased rapidly. And it doesn't say as they, as they sent out more and more preachers. No, as people did a simple task, as distributing food, as more and more people began to play their part, the number of disciples increased rapidly. They were able to make a greater difference collectively when more and more people began to play their part. And that's our vision, to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orienting their lives around Jesus, putting their faith in him, and seeing their lives lives transformed because of it. But the key is, the key is in each of us playing our part. Each of us playing our part. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of our time highlighting the importance of making a difference through serving and service. Uh, The past two weeks, you guys know, we've been in in John chapter 4, learning the story about the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, And and today we're going to look at another story from the Gospel of John. We're going to look at Jesus' first miracle, which was? Water, turning water into wine. So I'm not bringing up the story because I'm promising you a bottle of wine if you sign up today to volunteer. That's not the goal. Um, I'll give you a bottle of water, though, um, if you want that. But I, I believe that this story demonstrates how our simple acts of service can help others come to know and believe in Jesus because of our simple acts. So we're going to be in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. If you will, please stand as we read God's word. This is something that we just do during our gathering times to honor God's word. John chapter 2. Verse 1, and it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, Never say that to your mom. Never call, no, no. <laughs> My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, she ignored him, do whatever he tells you. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. This is the master of banquet. He called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. It's an interesting strategy, right? But, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You may be seated. Pray that God's word will speak to us today. This is a fascinating and interesting story for many reasons. Jesus, his disciples, and his mom find themselves at a wedding that they were invited to. And something happens that should never happen at a good party. What happens? They run out of wine, right? Um, Sorry. Now, for those of you that like to throw parties and host and have people come over. How many of you are mortified if you run out of food or drink? How many of you just like, oh, it's your worst fear, right? All right. I, I don't know if this is a Hispanic thing. I, I saw it always in my aunts and, and my sisters. And, but my wife, B, man, she is so cautious about ever running out of food that she tends to cook or order way too much, right? And so she'll call me up and she's prepping me like, oh, I think I might have ordered too much food. And I show up, it's like, who are we feeding, right? Like a small nation or something like, who's coming over? We only invited two people over. Um, and, and, and literally, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. We, the last time, we, we had leftovers for three days. But it, it's just because she, she would be mortified if we ran out of food. Now, for some reason, Mary is very concerned that they are out of wine at this wedding. She's concerned. But here's what I've never really understood about the story. And maybe you feel the same way. Why would Mary bring this to the attention of Jesus? Why would she bring it to the attention of Jesus? I started thinking, is this what Mary did when she ran out of eggs or bread? Like, uh, called Jesus in and said, can you turn this stone into, uh, into some bread? That would be awesome, right? Uh, I don't have to go to the store um, and get that. But the question is, did she bring it up to Jesus expecting a miracle? Probably not. Likely not. Keep in mind that she knew that there was something special about her son. But she, she didn't know the full extent at this point. But here are two practical reasons why Mary could have brought the matter to Jesus' attention. One commentator mentions that Jesus and his disciples, the way the story is written, they might have been a late addition to the invite list, which which could have contributed to the wine shortage, right? Can you imagine 13 men showing up to your party? That would definitely make a dent on your supply. But another thought is that guests during this time were expected to bring wine to the party if they were invited. But Jesus didn't because either his last minute arrival or because of his poverty. So in in essence, Mary is saying, we are out of wine and it is partly your fault. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? 
But here's the thing. Not only does Mary bring the shortage of wine to Jesus' attention, but she tells the servants that were attending to the wedding. She, she ignores what Jesus says to her, and she tells the servants, he's going to do something about this. He's going to do something about this, but he's going to need your help. And I want that whatever he asks you to do, I want you to say yes. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do. Sound familiar? But let's keep in mind this. Let's keep in mind who Mary is making this request to. She's speaking to the servants. She's speaking to the servants. So some of us might say it's, it's almost expected that they will do whatever Jesus tells them to do, right? They're servants. But, 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 but what we need to understand and what's interesting to me is that in one sense, anyone can be a servant. Just because these men or women have a title or a position of being a servant at this wedding, anyone can be a servant. I, I love this quote by Martin Luther King. He, he once said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Anybody, anybody can serve. But in another real sense, pride and self-centeredness will always get in the way of our service. It will always get in the way of our service, of us serving others. Now, I'm only speaking for myself, okay, at this point. When I don't want to serve, when I don't want to serve, it's usually because I don't want to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. I don't want to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. I'll be inconvenienced if it, if it benefits me. But otherwise, I don't have time for it. I don't want to be inconvenienced. That's me. And that's not a servant's heart. How many of you um, have seen or heard the acronym WIIFM? It doesn't roll off the tongue uh, smoothly, but it stands, for, it stands for what's in it for me. What's in it for me? And, and it's used as a popular sales and marketing tool. It's this idea that if you understand humans and our culture, you will know that when people assess the value of something, the number one question that they are asking is, what's in it for me? If you can't show them that your product or service is worth their time and worth their money, then you will never earn their business. Never. And this is how our culture operates. Asking, what's in it for me? But when it comes to living the life that God has called us to live in which we are making a difference in the lives of others, when it comes to living a life of purpose and meaning, the question should not be what's in it for me, but rather what's in it for them? What's in it for them? What's ironic about all of this is that when we focus on me, when we are when we live a me-centered life, the life that we are after or the things that we are after of joy, of purpose, of meaning, of fulfillment, happiness, it eludes us completely when the focus is only on me. Andy Stanley, who is a pastor I love to hear and read um, 
everything that he produces. He's a pastor in, uh, in Atlanta. When he talks about purpose, he shares how much he dislikes the question, What's in, what, what is my purpose? He, he talks about how much, when he's talking about purpose, he, talk, he, he says, I just dislike that question, what is my purpose? Now, he, he understands that we all want our lives to have purpose and meaning, that at one time or another, we have all asked the question, what's the point, right? What's the point of life? What's the point of doing all these things? But even though we all know that feeling of lacking purpose, asking what is my purpose is the wrong question. It misses the point. He says a better question is, who is my purpose? Who is my purpose? You see, because purpose is found when you take the focus off of yourself and you put it on others. You find your purpose when you take the focus off of yourself and you put it on others. He says, purpose is found just beyond the border of what's in it for me. It's found outside of the circle of me. It's found in asking and acting on the question, what's in it for them? It's found in serving others. Serving others. If you... And I can step into the realm of what's in it for them. You will discover one of my favorite things about serving. One of my favorite things about serving. You get to see and be a part of God moving in the lives of others. If you can step into what's in it for them, you get to see God move in miraculous ways, in amazing ways. In verses 6, 7, and 8, Jesus tells the servants to fill with water six of these large jars that fit about 20 to 30 gallons. So they said yes, and they do it. It's a simple task, but one that takes effort and sacrifice. And after they are done filling the jars, he tells them to draw some out and to take it to the master of banquet. And this is kind of like our uh, master of ceremony, our MC, right? This person is responsible to making sure that everything at the wedding party goes well. And when he drank some of this wine, he couldn't believe how good it was. He pulls the groom to the side and says, in verse 10, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Jesus has just done something amazing. It's an interesting display of the abundance of his grace. He turns water into wine to keep the party going. But also he turns water into wine to cover up the shame that the bride and groom would have experienced if they ran out of wine. And in that culture of honor, it would have been a big deal. And, and in his abundance of grace, he doesn't just do enough to get by. No, no. He produces over 100 gallons of wine. Over 100 gallons of wine. And not your $2 bottle of Trader Joe's wine. No, it's a fine wine. The master of banquet says that it's the best wine. But what I want us to focus in on is verse 9. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. He did not realize where it had come from. So many of us, we enjoy the blessings of God. So many of us enjoy the benefits of God, and we don't even realize where they come from. The master of banquet did not realize where it had come from, though 
it says, the servants who had drawn the water knew. The servants knew. Get this, the only ones who knew, the the only ones who participated in the miracle of God were the servants. It was the servants. And I'm sure everyone at the wedding had a good time and benefited from this good wine, but the ones who left with the best story and experience were the servants. Not only did they... Help, not only did they help keep the party going, but it says in verse 11, this is key for what we're trying to do here at Epic. In verse 11, it says that because of this first miracle, because of this sign and display of Jesus' glory, because of the help that the servants uh, participated in by bringing the jars and filling them with water, because of this, it says that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, believed in him. Believed in him. The servants made a difference even in the lives of the disciples, because they were willing to serve. And for me, I can just see the servants hanging it out afterwards. And I, and I, and, and I'm saying to one another, I can't believe what we just saw. I can't believe what we just got to be a part of. I can see them years later hearing how the message of Jesus is spreading around the world through the work of the disciples. And for them to be able to say, we got to be a part of that. God used us in helping them believe. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than to be a part of what God is doing in the lives of others. I want, do, you, do you know why I got into full-time ministry? Why I decided to, to give the rest of my life to doing this? I don't think I ever really described it this way. Back then, I would generally say it was because of a passion and a calling. But as I prepared for this message, I realized that another part of it is that I just love seeing God's power move in the lives of others. I love seeing God's power move in the lives of others. And get this, I don't mind filling water jugs to see that happen. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see God move in the lives of others. And I wanted as many opportunities as possible to step into that, to make it possible, to create the environment so that God can turn the old and make it new. I wanted to see God heal the broken. I wanted God to bring into the family those who were lonely. I wanted to see God raise the dead to life. And that is the opportunity that each of us has when we step up and we say, I want to play my part. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see God move. I can tell you, And dozens of volunteers and team members and leaders here can tell you, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world to head home exhausted on a Sunday afternoon, but after knowing that God has moved and seeing him do it. And knowing that I got to play a part in that. And I don't want you to miss out on that. This is an area where it's okay to have the fear of missing out, to suffer from FOMO. When we play our part, We get to be a part of the greatest mission in the world, and that is helping and seeing people put their trust in Jesus and having their lives transformed because of it. We get to make a difference. A couple of months ago, we were at a conference where we got to hear Sheryl Sandberg speak. Um, As many of you know, she is currently the COO of Facebook, 
Uh, but she shared the story of when she was recruited by Eric Schmidt, uh, the former CEO of Google. And she talks about how she was a bit hesitant about his offer and what he wanted her to do because he wanted her to oversee a department that practically did not exist. She had no team. But this is what he told her at that meeting. He said, when you get invited to jump on a rocket ship, you don't ask what seat. When you get asked to jump on a rocket ship, rocket ship, you don't ask what seat. And I love that. And I thought, man, if this guy can be so bold with Google's mission to help the world organize their data, how much more should we, when we have the opportunity to witness the greatest miracle take place week after week? How much more should we? And so what I'm going to ask you to do at this time is I'm going to ask you, if you're not currently on the ship, I'm going to ask you to jump on and to say, I'll do whatever it takes. I want to play my part. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, grab the communication card that you received when you came in. It's the white and green envelope in the packet that you received. If you did not receive it, if you did not get it, I want you to grab your phone and go to our website, epicsf.com forward slash volunteer. And you'll see a number of options on your card and on our website. And, and you might be wondering, which team do I sign up for? Unless there's a clear uh, leaning or inclination because of your gifts or your experience, like if you're musically gifted, vocally gifted, definitely sign up for the worship team. But if there's not that clear leaning, just pick one. Just pick one. I truly believe that you really don't know what you're passionate about or, or what, you know, how you are gifted until you begin to try different things. So pick one. Pick one. I, one, of the, one of the things I, I, I want to add and mention, in this story, it's really interesting that when it talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus, they never use her name. And, and that's, that's the case throughout the book of John. And the same is true for John, the, the, the disciple. He, he's referenced as the beloved disciple of Jesus. Mary is known as the mother of Jesus. And the servants, we don't know their names. To serve, it requires humility. It requires humility. Michael Hyatt, I don't know if this is his quote or he was quoting some, someone else. He says, if serving is beneath you, beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Some of us think we're too important to serve. But I want to tell you that we have CEOs that serve on the hospitality team. We have doctors and dentists that are serving production, that are on the band. Anybody can serve. Anybody can serve. But we have to ask the question, who is my purpose and what's in it for them? What's in it for them? If you are currently not on a team, I want you to fill out that card. If you have taken a break, I want you to re-engage and jump back in. And here's why.
my greatest fear is what happens if we don't. If we don't reach the people in our community, in our city, if we don't reach our coworkers, if we don't reach our neighbors and friends and family, what happens if we don't? There's no greater mission in the world than to point people to Jesus, to help people know God, and to find a family and community. And that's what we're all about. Jump in. Let me pray for us.